0: If you're a founder building a company you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale the people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup i'm nigel robinson with build talent and in each episode we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders why it matters and how you can keep up welcome to the gradients podcast Well, yeah, thank you again, Derek, for joining us on the podcast. This is the Gradients Podcast. I'm here with Derek Lowe, the CEO of Medallion, a software platform that removes friction from the health provider network, allowing providers to spend less time on paperwork, more time with patients. If I remember, it's like removing all the friction from like certification and licensing processes for nurses and other healthcare professionals. They've raised $50 million from investors. Previously, you were a director of product management at Hired. Prior to that, you were actually aqua hired into hired after founding Pi. After founding Pi, which is a platform that teaches people how to code, you had over a million downloads, was acquired in 2019, featured in Forbes 30 Under 30 Healthcare 2022 list. Congratulations. And I know you guys recently raised around at Medallion. And so congratulations on that as well. I guess to start, we can go a little bit back before Medallion and just get a little bit more into where. This entrepreneurial spirit started. Like a lot of people come out of college and they're like, all right, now I got to go get a job. You kind of like immediately jumped in to your founder's journey. What was going on in your life at the time? How did that come about?
1: Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on, on the podcast. I'm excited to, to talk about my journey thus far, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, how I got into building products and, and into eventually building companies, it started actually in, in high school. I learned how to code, took a class at BU was really fortunate to be able to do that. And it was in in Java. And then I ended up somehow stumbling into app development. So I think, you know, once I sort of got onto programming, I sort of just did a lot of of research online to figure out, you know, what are more applicable ways that you can actually use this skill? And yeah, I I quickly sort of got really addicted to building iPhone apps, actually. Hmm. So this is back when Swift, which is now the language that most iPhone apps are written in, didn't even actually exist. Then, which makes me feel kind of old, and, and yeah, we—I basically started, you know, just building apps that I wanted to use. The first one that I ever created was called Menu Cloud, and it was an app that would let you sort of digitize a, a restaurant menu and see it on your phone. Which actually now, you know, in the post-COVID era, is actually quite common. But back then, it felt like a pretty novel idea. And so, yeah, I just really got addicted to to programming. And I think what I found really so sort of fascinating is that you could have a vision in your head and then do something in isolation on your computer in your own room and then press a button. And then all of a sudden, that thing is actually something you can actually touch, interact with, share with friends. And to so that, that was a pretty kind of powerful experience for me. And yeah, I kind of just kept doing that. I went to college and took a break from it actually for a couple of years. Then junior year of college, got really back into it. And that's the sort of genesis behind Pi is um, it was it, you know started out as a side project. I had no sort of, yeah, vision that it would become... A national company, and that we'd hire people and have tons of users. But yeah, I got really lucky. We got into Y Combinator, and that definitely was a huge accelerant to my whole career. And definitely owe a lot to them. And yeah, that's sort of how I got how I got started.
0: Wow, yeah, I love that. And lucky, but not accidental, let's say, because you were clearly working at it. I think it's funny how you're like uh, the age element. Like, oh, I feel old. Like just how fast technology cycles through and kind of ten years, people. And you said something, too, about like being able to press a button and now it's live. I always think about how you could be the best aerospace engineer in the world. It doesn't mean you're going to build a rocket ship. But really, you can be a software engineer and sit down on your computer and create something and press a button and then billions of people can interact with it. It is mind boggling. Okay, and so. You kind of, it sounds like from the story, the hire of Pi into Hired happened before you really got a chance to scale that up. It's like you had the product, you had your downloads, like it was getting traction, but then before you actually got a chance to really build the company out, you get Hired into Hired. So now that you're on your second run with Medallion, I imagine, you know, you do your time of Hired, you leave there. What's happening in your life at the time where you're like, all right, I'm going to go at it again and I'm going to go at it with this problem space. Like, how does that start to form in your mind?
1: Yeah, I knew I even before you know we sold the company to hire that I was very likely going to start another company. It's just what I love doing. And so, yeah, I think once I spent enough time there, I kind of got the itch to start something again. And, and I started doing a lot of research on different problem spaces. I'm not just in healthcare, but yeah, this ended up being the thing that really stuck. And it was actually the way I found out about this problem space. It is, it is very niche and not something that most people know about, although it is an, an enormous industry, was through a conversation with a friend of mine His name is Zach. He's the CEO of Ro, and yeah, we were actually talking about a completely different idea that I had, and I was getting his advice on it. And in the last ten minutes, he asked me, or I asked him, rather, what pain points he experienced scaling Ro, and then he told me about this clinical licensure problem and how much of a massive pain point it is for healthcare companies, and it's this really huge bottleneck. And so, yeah, that's I did a lot of research on it after that, and was just really shocked at how archaic the process is, and and then all the things that you could do once you solve this that specific problem. And yeah, so far, it's definitely been true that it is a big pain point for many, many digital health companies. And we've been able to solve it, I would say fairly well. So yeah.
0: I think that's awesome how you, it sounds like you were kind of learning as you were building even. It's not like you had, came in with some insane insight into a space you'd been studying for a while. It's like you kind of start peeking your head around and started building around that. How did you start? What was it like? All right. So, you know, you, you have this insight now. Or at least this interest, you start building the product. At what point do you start bringing people in around you to help you start getting this thing off the ground? What was it like kind of building that early team to help you do this? Or, or recruiting your
1: co-founder even? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm actually of a, a co-founder. I, I still found a medallion. I was working on it for about a month and a half-ish before we brought on our first employee. And yeah, I think the initial phases it was sort of figuring out the rough sketch for how we would design a solution to solve this, both from like the client-facing perspective as well as internally, how we would you know, be able to support the, the work. And yeah, then it kind of snowballed from there. We raised our first round of financing in March of 2020. So right before COVID happened. And we were really fortunate to kind of raise right when we did, it was very lucky. Right. And yeah, then from there, we started expanding and getting some of our first clients and started to grow the team. Did you also solo
0: found Pi? Is that just kind of like... Yeah, I guess how do you think about that? Did you consider getting a co-founder or how was that deliberate or
1: it was pretty deliberate? Yeah. I mean, I just felt that I would be able to, I think in the really early days, the two key things you need to be able to do is build the product and then commercialize it as in like get your first set of clients, right? That will pay you, give you feedback, and allow you to actually grow. And so because I had experience doing it from the first company, I felt like I I already knew how to do zero to one selling and because of my background, I, I know how to build products. So yeah, we got really, we were very fortunate to bring on a couple engineers actually that are in the Ukraine and they're, they're still actually engineers with us today. They're obviously going through a really challenging time right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were instrumental in helping us get off the ground and yeah. And then actually first employee at Pi, he was, he was also the first employee at Medallion. Wow. He's one of my closest friends. We've known each other for, I think over a decade now. And um, yeah, he helped really get things going in the early days with me and, kind of sort of firefighting on a bunch of different fronts, whether it was customer success or helping us you know, drive deal volume through reaching out to you know potential clients. So yeah, that's kind of how we how we got started.
0: Wow. So I'm guessing this friend jumped in the boat with you even before you had funding. It was like, hey, I got this thing. Or yeah, what was the timing like, I guess?
1: I actually can't remember. I can't remember. I'm getting dinner with him later tonight, so maybe I'll ask him. I'm
0: trying to think. It makes it a totally different sell, right? Like, hey, I got this idea working on. Yeah.
1: Oh, I know. You know, you're right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, if I had to just guess, because I truly don't remember, I think it may have been, I think it was after we had raised funding, or I'm sure I was talking to you about it maybe before that. Yeah. But I think it was after we we had raised the first little bit of funding that that I was like, okay, like now, because I mean, I think partially also, it was like on my end, I didn't want to like get him involved unless it was a serious thing. And like, right. you know, we, we like had the ability to actually pay his salary and all those kind of things. So I think... <laughs> yeah. I think it would have been after we raised funding, probably. But
0: yeah, yeah, that's funny. It's like, no, I promise we're gonna <laughs> yeah. get this funded. <laughs> okay. And so, when you're building out the early team, like obviously you kind of have to hire against your weaknesses. Luckily for you, you have the product and a technical background. Yep. What else is important to you about the early hires? You know, because now you you've done this a second time, and maybe what you learned too, like lessons you carried over from Pi into from a team building standpoint, the the importance of those early ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I think it probably varies very much between companies, but I think at least for what worked for us, you know, I think one thing is like the early hires have to complement the founding you know, kind of teams, like various skill sets. I think one thing that's likely consistent though is a level of tenacity and work ethic and also just sort of loyalty to the business. I think all of those attributes are really important in the early days when you're really trying to just get off the ground and you might go through hard moments where... We thought you were gonna you know thought you're gonna sign a big client and like that falls through or you bring on a bunch of clients and you grow really fast and then you're struggling to support them. Those are all kind of like very classic I and mean, normal problems that that really small companies have. And yeah having a team that will stick together in those tough moments is really not something to be taken for granted and, and I think it's an important thing to look for. And you know there's obviously all the other qualities of like you know hiring people that are smart and like effective like right? and do the can yeah. do the functions appropriately are willing to roll up their sleeves, right? Because when you're a tiny startup, you know, only a handful of people, everybody really needs to pull their weight and you can't just have, you know, people managing or kind of just sitting back and, and waiting for things to get done. So...
0: <laughs> yeah, supervising. Yeah. I'm a supervisor. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> like, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. That makes a lot of sense. It's like competence is the bare minimum, really, kind of at that, at yeah. that point. It's like you need everybody, all hands on deck for sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, the other thing is too, is like, as a solo founder, you only have so much bandwidth in a day. And between building the product and selling the product, there is then hiring people to help you do those things. What percent of your time do you feel like, and maybe there's kind of an evolution of this, but we hear, oh, you got to be spending 50% of your time at least hiring. How true has that been for you? What does that look
1: like for you? Yeah. Yeah. This is also an interesting question. I mean, I think it really depends, I think, on the week, honestly, and like the month and just the point in time, right? Right. Like early this year, I've spent a lot of time on executive hiring because we're just right. We just raised our series B, just given the kind of goals and growth plans, like building out the leadership team is like a P0, right? It's one of the most important things we have to do to be able to keep being able to scale. But in the early days, you can go months without making any hires, right? So I think it's obviously very dependent on point in time. I think when things like exec hiring, are the P0, it can be more than 50% of your time. It can be like almost all of your time. So yeah. And then I think, I guess on an ongoing basis though, I think spending definitely a good chunk of time on hiring is as a, certainly as a CEO is like necessary, right? Whether it's getting on calls with really key hires to try and sell them or potentially even doing sourcing from your own network to try and pull in key people. Yeah, I think hiring obviously is one of the highest leverage activities you can spend your time on to build a company.
0: Yeah, and I was going to ask too. It's like you spend all of this time, how much time is dedicated to putting together like a sophisticated process or is it really just like a series of phone calls at first? Like, yeah, I guess how much work was put into making sure that your interviewing process was down pat versus just finding the right people, doing the selling, things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean in the really early days, obviously I think pretty much no startup ready is going to have a, a very well built-out interview recruiting process. It's very ad hoc. As we've matured, you've definitely become, you know, way more sophisticated. And we brought on an ATS and then we switched ATSs and then we built out a scorecard kind of process and JDs and specific criteria, things that we're looking for, and like question sets and how to assess for those things and it's like all of the traditional stuff that I think goes into a, a well structured recruiting process. So yeah, I mean I think we're certainly by no means done or you know it's perfect. Uh, I've only been around for two years, but yeah. yeah, I think it probably I don't know. Once you have to start hiring more than like a person a week, for example, which is like where we're at now, I definitely think it's really critical to have a good process.
0: Yeah, no, I was gonna say your team has has tripled in during this eighteen month period, and I see that you you actually brought in your VP of engineering. I guess I have a few questions here. It's like, one, you're obviously a young guy. I mean, you're not new to this. You're true to this. This is your second run at the company. But do you feel, how does it feel as a young person going out and trying to hire executives? Like, do you kind of feel something in that? Like, is there some kind of compensating or, or a way that you've kind of combated that? Or has that even come up?
1: I don't know. I think I've just maybe been lucky. Like, it's not part of my personality to kind of worry about that type of thing, I guess. I've always liked talking to people that are older than me and like and, and learning from them. I think it, it's important, yeah, really make sure you take a, a mindset of, yeah, just wanting to learn. Because I mean, a lot of the people that... Well, actually, every, every single person on the leadership team that that I've hired has more user experience than me, just in terms of just years of work experience. Yeah. so there's just plenty of things I learned from each of them all the time. And each of them are certainly better than me in their respective function, for sure. So yeah, no, I mean, it's a real privilege to be able to work, work with people that are more experienced than you. And yeah, no, I don't, but I don't think it's been a, a big issue. I think, I think that you build confidence when you become an expert in the thing that you're working on. And I think then being able to talk about that thing and share it with somebody else, I think that builds sort of, yeah, just a level of trust, confidence from them and in, in you that you know what you're doing and, and that they want to work with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can't build anything without trust. And I could totally see, I love the idea of approaching every conversation of just like, I'm just here to learn versus like let me assess this person's level of like, obviously you have to assess, but the intent of how you come into the interaction, I think is super meaningful. And then there's the thing about culture. Like you mentioned trust. I have to be able to trust this person with my product. I have to be able to trust this person with engineering roadmap, et cetera. How do you think about the culture element? And maybe what was kind of the thesis of the culture that you had in mind when you started building the company? And how do you think about that now as you essentially kind of hand over more and more of the the weight of this to other people and to ultimately the organization to kind of sustain it.
1: Yeah. When I think about culture I think about how people interact and work on a day-to-day basis, right? Like what types of decisions are they making? How are they doing their work? How are they communicating and interacting with other people? I think that that's a lot of what culture is. And I think for us, we only recently defined our sort of like values or you know the Whatever you want to call them, norms or like ways you want people to do those things, right? Yeah. And for us, those are work ethic, bias for action, ownership mentality, and results focus. And then we kind of we've sort of taken the Netflix approach of we have ones there, what we call assumed values, are ones that we just think are table stakes that really everybody every company should want. And those are integrity, kindness, transparency, and humility. And to give an example of like why, you know, say like work ethic is an, is one that we think is a little bit more unique to medallion. There are lots of companies where they can be very successful, and they don't need people that work hard. I think Google is probably a good example of that. Um, certainly not in the early days, but now people can work at Google and they can be they can get great marks on their you know performance reviews and all that, and they can work 20 hours to 40 hours a week. That just doesn't really work at a company like us, where every single person is really carrying a, a large responsibility to be able to get us to the next level. And so I think making sure that you have people that self-select in because obviously there's no right or wrong there. Somebody doesn't want to work more than 40 hours. That's fine. But Medallion then definitely sort of isn't, isn't the place where they should come to work. So yeah, I think that's, those are some thoughts on that. And I think we're we're definitely still, it's a work in progress as is pretty, pretty much everything at Medallion. But yeah, we definitely do think a lot about it. And um, And I think the great thing is we've got a really good culture. Like we just completed our engagement survey and the results were super positive overall. And so that's obviously great, great to see. And we also have a, had a great year last year, right? We you know six stacks revenue, we tripled the company, maybe even quadrupled the company in terms of size. And so when things are going well and the company's winning, I think the culture is a little bit less tested. I think it it's it becomes a lot harder when you go through hard times. And we've had some of those too. Yeah. But when we were a little bit smaller. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how just our culture evolves over time.
0: Right. Yeah. Like you said, it's a never ending process. Like the social organism is kind of always growing. I think, congratulations, by the way, on getting like high engagement, like positive culture results and tripling, quadrupling the size of the organism. Oftentimes, I feel like there's a lot of tension there in terms of like being able to hold on to the things that you that are very like endearing and meaningful to that early culture as you scale. I think all the more impressive having done it in a remote world is Medallion a fully remote company, like both feed in.
1: Yeah, we are fully remote. So we have literally no office space at all. And yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to the people, right? I like you know, hiring the right people again that just self-selecting into this way of working is absolutely critical.
0: Yeah. No, the having the people that opt in, like that's obviously you need the values there so everybody can look and kind of see it written in stone, as it were. But yeah, giving people the option to opt into this way of being almost. I think is is super critical too, because you're always going to kind of pay for it one way or another, otherwise. How has being a remote work first place affected the way that you hire or finding the right talent? Because Pi was pre-COVID, I imagine maybe you at least had kind of small office space. Yeah, how has that kind of changed now with Medallion? Yeah,
1: interestingly, um, even with Pi, we had no office. We were working out of my apartment, actually. We never got big enough to have an office. Nice. And we actually had two remote people well, one person who was actually the first engineer at Carta and he was at the time living down in Brazil because he had helped open Carta's Brazil office. And then another friend of mine who lives in Seattle, Washington, and so and I, you know I'm, we were based in SF, so we had two people remote. And then actually we had one other engineer who he's now with Medallion, and he lives in and he lives in Berkeley, and so he had to commute in. And so sometimes I, th- I think he would just work from home, if I'm remembering correctly. And so some days it was just me and. And essentially our, our first employee, Creighton, and we were actually living together at the time. So yeah, I've, I guess I've just been sort of used to remote work for a long time now. And yeah, I actually really like it. I think it's in terms of the recruiting question, I think it's allowed us to have access, obviously, to a much a greater pool of candidates, which is really great. I think we've got a more diverse company because of that, not just racially or, or ethnically, but also um, in terms of just people's backgrounds. And so that's been really awesome to see. Yeah, for us, it's been quite successful.
0: Are there any like, because you're now getting bigger than you were at Pi, are there are there things in particular that you've done to like drive engagement or kind of increase the social cohesion given you're in this remote state for the foreseeable future for forever?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean there's definitely things to be doing better, but I think things we do today is one, like in all hands, every two weeks. And even within all hands, we'll do like a breakout room or session where people can kind of meet folks that they may not even know exist at the company. Until so we'll do these like zoom breakout rooms. We've got a lot of Slack channels dedicated to, you know, non-work discussion. Like we have a pets channel, which has been you know, pretty classic. And we've got an I am here channel, which has been really successful where people can take a picture of sort of like, you know, if they're on vacation or they're traveling or just if they, I don't know. I love that. Have an interesting thing you know, that they did. Yeah. Like in their own area, but in an area that maybe there are no other teammates. Right. So it's really cool for, I think, people to be able to share those things with each other. And so that's been really nice.
0: We're gonna take those the, the pet channel and the <laughs> I am here channel. Those are pretty yeah. good. We're gonna to have to take those at build. Yeah, no,
1: I think every company should do, it. I think it builds builds a sense of closeness, I think, to people that you know, might seem far away. So I think that's been really, really positive. I'm trying to think of anything else we do. That's a lot of it. Uh, we try to have donut where it matches you with, with somebody and you can talk to each other.
0: Yeah.
1: Or like a little group on a I think maybe every two week cadence. I think that's been successful. So I think yeah, we piloted that. I think that, that went pretty well. But other than that, yeah, we haven't done a... Oh, and then I guess maybe lastly is like a holiday party that is kind of like an all-company thing. And we did it remote last year because of COVID, I think. Hopefully, eventually, we'll be able to get the entire company together in person. That would be really, really cool. Yeah. But we're not quite, I think, big enough to feel comfortable doing that yet.
0: Yeah, I feel you. For what it's worth, it does feel magical, you know, because I feel like in the remote world, it's like, I could be a young Colombian woman or something, you know, just like an avatar. Like, but we... uh, we're pretty small here at Bill. We had eight people now and we got we were able to get together last year and it just made everything feel so much different being in the same place at the same time, being able to like look at across the room and see this person versus through the screen. So definitely hope you guys get a chance to do that. To take a step back on the executive front, because the mentality that we talked about is critical of like the way you approach those conversations. But how difficult have you found it? Just in general, like, is it a different beast hiring your executive teams versus your ICs or, or your frontline managers? And and how long was that journey for you of finding like the right VP versus, I'm, ter- I'm sure you talked to a, a slew of competent people.
1: Yeah, we've gotten really, really lucky, actually, on this front. So Armand, who's our head of engineering, I actually found him through a posting in Bookface, which is Y your internal forum. Yeah, that was really lucky at the time. I hadn't even really actually decided that we it was at like the right time to bring on a head of engineering, mm. but I it was something that I was just thinking about, and so I, I emailed him, and yeah, we we really hit it off, and I mutually kind of realized that it was definitely the right fit, and it's been fantastic. He's been with us for now over a year, and I see myself working with him for many more years, um, and I, I wow. think he feels the same way. So that's been really really exciting, and and then there's been many other examples of that one of my advisors, he referred in our VP of sales. And again, it was like this moment where we weren't positive that actually it was even the right time to bring on a VP of sales. But this conversation happened and the stars aligned. And I think actually I was introduced to him on my birthday. Event, and then then he joined on his birthday, wow. <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool.
0: Wow. <laughs> You got some story to this is real like fairy tale <laughs> hiring escapades for sure. Yeah, that's incredible. So, a lot of opportunistic moments. I'm wondering you know, you mentioned this thing about timing. How do you think about that? Like, when is the right time to hire a head of engineering? When is the right time to hire your executive for XYZ? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think if, if there's one lesson that other folks could take away from at least my experience, I think it's that you typically always hire too late. Hmm. And so because I think I think the reason for that is that by the time you realize that you need this role in seat, now it's going to take you on average like three months, if you're fast, to find someone really great. Right. And so then you end up in this situation where now, you know, when when they're finally in seat, it feels like this like you're really desperate. Whereas if you kind of have a little bit more foresight, and I don't think we necessarily even had that foresight, I think we got lucky. I think it can be really, really impactful because you also think about the ramp time, right? Like it's like sort of that moment where you realize, okay, we need a head of marketing. Now, again, it's the clock starts and it's three months before that person, you actually get them to accept. It may even be another month before they actually can even start, maybe two months.
0: Right. Right.
1: Because executives tend to have to right. they've got big responsibilities, a lot of teammates, right. they need a longer transition period. And then now they need to ramp. And so it's like this, like six months, seven months, eight months delay before they're actually effective in see able to start building up their team, able to start really contributing. Right. So I think that's probably the reason that I would imagine a lot of people would say that they've been they felt like they've hired executives too slowly. Yeah.
0: That's funny you say that I interviewed the founder of Streamlit and he was basically like, yeah, my investors were yelling at me to hire this person. And we were like, oh no, it's fine. We're just a couple of cooks in the kitchen. You know, and by the time he realized that they needed this thing, yeah, they were kind of feeling the pain a little bit. I think that's a a great point that people don't often think, all right, there's the search time, but then there's them kind of uncoupling from their current position. And then there's the ramp up time of them having to learn your system, your problem space, or even if it's not those things, just getting smoothly integrated into their new home type of thing. Now that you have kind of run the, the gambit for these things, what wisdom would you pass down to young Derek? You know, if you're starting pie all over again, or if you're starting medallion all over again, on the hiring side of your founder journey, what are some of the gems that, that you've kind of collected along the way?
1: I mean, I think for us, there's a few specific things. Like one is we're an operationally intensive business. So I think we w- we should have invested earlier in hiring operational leadership and just in hiring more ops folks. Mm. So that's one lesson. Yeah, I think... On the exact hiring front, or just on the hiring front in general, again that thing we just talked about, which is hiring earlier, I think that's key. Yeah, I think we've done a fairly good job actually of firing fast when we realize that somebody is not a fit, either performance or you know because of values fit or whatever it is. I think we've done actually a fairly good job of doing that and being disciplined there. Yeah. But a reminder on that because that's really important. Another small thing is you know sometimes people will recommend somebody really really strongly. And I think taking a little bit of a pause to really assess the person from first principles is really important because even if the person that is the reference is saying amazing things and and, and you really trust them, there can be all sorts of factors why this hire is not good for you. It could be that they they wanted to work really hard in their previous role and now they're burned out and they actually want to want something easier. It could be that they were in a different role and now they're going or they were in one role and now they're coming to a different role with you. And their skill set and experience doesn't map exactly, so I think being sort of cautious about about that because we've had that happen. We've had people like recommend someone really, really strongly, and then end up that they're not actually the perfect fit for the company.
0: Wow! So that's kind of turned out both ways for you. Yeah. Sound like the, the yeah the sword has cut yeah. on both sides. Where like you've had really strong network effects of being able to get these people, but like the adverse also. Maybe that's something we could talk about too is how you think about like leveraging the network of advocates. Because at first, when your solo founder is just you and then kind of everyone who like cares about you, cares about what you're doing, respects what, who you are, all of these things. Is there a way that you think about it or is it kind of like serendipity, feeling it out as you go? How do you think about like leveraging your true advocates at your, at your of Medallion and, and of yourself? I think
1: you develop a sense over time of, People in your network that do really know what they're talking about and pass along people that are high quality. And also it can just be, you know, there's just a a miss in terms of fit. Like if you're talking to somebody that's some senior, senior, senior VP at Google, their whole network might be other senior VPs at Google. And while those people are very impressive, they're not going to be a good fit for a five person startup. Right. And so I think, yeah, also just like figuring out the people in your network that are really Good for your stage, almost, and that can be on many dimensions: on the talent they recommend, on the advice they give. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, no, that's huge. Okay, and now that you have kind of achieved what I'll call a product market fit, I feel like you guys have received that traction, the latest round, the ability to hire. I see you kind of have your executive team starting to round out. What is kind of the on the horizon for y'all at Medallion as far as maybe hiring or the long term vision? You mentioned. As you've gotten more into the space, you realize there's so much more that can be done, even beyond just the the kind of licensing and credentialing.
1: Yeah, we truly believe we can build a multi-billion dollar business in this space. Healthcare administration is a trillion dollar. There's about $950 billion to about a trillion dollars of spend every single year on healthcare administration, which is pretty mind-boggling. I was watching this talk from Planner Perkins the other day, and one of the partners was talking about the size of the U.S. healthcare industry. And it's a, about a $4 trillion industry. And so then if you go and look at the GDPs of countries, healthcare, US healthcare, actually <laughs> ranks as the fifth biggest country wow. by GDP, which is really kind of like that. It doesn't make sense. It's like really, yeah. it doesn't make sense for many, many reasons, but yeah. And one of the core contributors to that, right? A quarter of the spend is, health, is spent on healthcare administration. So we think it's a really meaningful problem to be tackling. I think the side effects of what happens if we're successful or that, clinicians are able to spend way more time with patients and less time on paperwork and administrative you know, tasks, that the healthcare industry as a whole is more efficient and innovation is able to happen faster. Digital health companies are able to grow more quickly, expand faster. The interactions between healthcare providers and insurance payers is streamlined and made a lot more efficient so that both parties can operate more effectively. So that's what we're working towards. And yeah, we're really, really excited about the future. where. We're close to rounding out our, our leadership team. We're currently looking for a head of finance. So if if there's anybody that that's out there that that ends up watching this that happens to know a great head of finance, please let me know. That'll be my one my plug for the for the podcast. And yeah, otherwise, you know, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. One last question before I let you go is who in the world of startups, of hiring of people of talent, are there people out there that That you would want to meet or any shout outs even of people who've kind of helped you along the way, people you want to kind of give their
1: flowers. Oh, that's a long list. That's a really long. And the (laughs) reading Yeah, you don't want to leave anyone out. Yeah, no, the (laughs) reading is so long, is just because my last company, Pi, we ended up building a platform for companies to assess technical talent. So it was essentially like um, I guess a coding challenge platform is maybe the the simplest way to say what we did we built. And there are, yeah, many, many people that Ended up being early adopters, and yeah, it's a long list. From you know Vince Walker, who was at Amplitude, who was one of our early clients. I remember you know, their office was actually a few blocks away from my apartment where we were working at, and so I would sometimes <laughs> just drop by and go see Vince and and literally just like hang out with them and the team for a little bit to, to get their feedback on the product and see how things were going. And so yeah, Vince and the whole Amplitude team was they, they were really uh-huh. great supporters of us in the early days. Yeah, I mean Brian Lewis There's just there's many many others, but yeah, probably would would take the money all.
0: No, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, that is awesome, man. Thank you again for joining us. Wishing you and the medallion team much success. I don't see anything stopping you. It's kind of your your race to lose, like whenever you feel like slowing down ultimately. But yeah, thanks again for joining. And yeah, we'll see you next time.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much, Nigel. Appreciate it.
0: The gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io. And make sure to search for the gradients in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening.